0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Happy New Year, everybody. It's great to be back for 2024. Uh, When we were last gathered together, it was the Christmas special with uh, the guys from Talking Snooker, Nick Metcalf and Phil Haig. We we said we were going to keep it down to two hours, but uh, it didn't quite happen. It was about the same length as usual. Um, So apologies for that. (laughs) But uh, thanks to everyone who listened and got back to us. Uh, of course, the big talking point, let's be honest, was Potter or Notter, the quiz I started. and you know, Several people have stopped me in the street to talk about it, mainly to say it was no good. But anyway, I, I, this is my prediction for the year. I don't make many predictions. You're going to see Potter or Notter at some point on television. Uh, I see they, they brought Jeopardy back, or, or the British version of it, with Stephen Fry. So let's see. Let's just see what happens with Potter or Notter this year. I've got, I've got high hopes for it of course, it's the Masters this week, and uh, later in the podcast, I will be previewing the matches and giving my predictions uh, <laughs> for what they're worth. It's a very hard tournament to predict, but I was going to, trying to get this out earlier in the week, but I've been at the Championship League. He's been very busy there, uh, but a good time has had by all. Congratulations to Stuart Bingham and Chris Wakelin, the first two winners uh, of uh, the Groups 1 and 2, respectively. Uh, two proper sort of snooker men there, and uh, good to see Stuart playing well. You He's know, struggled a bit this season. And Chris Wakelin, again, he was he was tall in the final with Mark Selby. Selby won quite a long fourth frame. It was actually one of the longest frames of the week because it was pretty quick overall. You kind of think then, well, that's a 2 each. You kind of think, well, you're going to get him in the decider. And once again, Chris Wakelin, I mean, he is the man for a shootout, literally, as we know. He made a century to win it. Very impressive. Um, as ever, we were well looked after, fed and watered well by Matchroom, and uh, the, the main thing about the Championship League is the gossip that goes on. Oh, the gossip. I'll tell you what, if, if we ever started a premium service, £5 a week, oh, I would pass it on, but as, as it is, my lips are sealed. But anyway, very interesting week, and uh, we're interested to see, of course, if the players who played in that, you know, did well in that, do well next week. It doesn't always correlate like that. Um, that, the, that if you play the Championship League, you win the Masters or something will go go well in it. But we'll see. And I'll be looking at the Masters uh, in more depth later on. Um, in the meantime, some some it's been a very busy time actually over Christmas and New Year's. A lot happening. Um, and we got the news, uh, of course the Scottish Open was the last event of the year. We got the news through that uh, the figures were massively up on last year. The Eurosport figures were up 64% on last year. The final was up 28%. The coverage on D-Max compared to Quest, was up 19%, that's a, a Freeview channel, and uh, there was a 70% increase in uh, interactions with the World Snooker Tour digital media, so overall, it was a massive success, now, you know, there's different factors, it was a slightly different time of year, I don't know what difference that makes really, um, but the fact is, it's more good news. There's another increase. We've seen increased uh, live attendances. We saw increased viewing figures at the UK Championship. Some people there said, oh, well, that's because Ronnie O'Sullivan won it. Well, he didn't play in Scotland, so how do you explain that? The fact is, the figures across the board are going up. They're going up in terms of TV, they're going up in terms of live attendances, and they're going up in terms of engagements. And uh, it's one in the eye for this. So there's a sort of slightly oddball community of people who want to tell you the game's in crisis. It isn't. It just That's just a fact. It isn't. It's actually thriving are doing really well we've seen recently and it's a similar sport Darts uh, had their big week at Alexandra Palace of course Luke Littler was the big story there a 16 year old got to the final 4 to up in the final sensational really I mean he lost in the end but what a story and they had huge figures and huge interest and it went mainstream it was on the front pages of newspapers he was on lots of mainstream TV shows fantastic for them um but I would warn against people saying, well, this has changed darts forever. Most likely it hasn't, Most because how many of the people who watch that final are going to watch the next event? How many of the chief sports writers who went to cover it and have written pieces about it are going to report the next event? What will happen is it will go back to what it was before, which is a very popular participation and attendance sport that does really well on TV. And snooker's the same. We would love, of course, our breakout moment, to an extent, running at the UK, you know, w- w- certainly brought more attention to it, but, but the dart story was incredible. It just shows you, if people have got something to hang on to, um, uh, sort of a hook and, 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 and something new, then they will. But it was interesting, on the uh, DMAX figures, because that's a Freeview channel, so if you don't have Eurosport or Discovery Plus, if you've got a telly in Britain, this is a British thing again, I know, but if you've got a telly, you could have watched it for free, the whole final uh, and, and the semis and, and action during the week on Freeview. I was listening to a, an interview with Sebastian Coe, the former athlete, now uh, involved in the governance of athletics. He was on the uh, the leading podcast with uh, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart. And they asked him about athletics now, and they said, how many athletes would you... Actually, the question was, how many athletes would your mother recognise now? And he said, none. And he said, the reason was, they don't have a significant footprint on terrestrial television. Um, obviously, the, the Olympics, the World Championship, you know, uh, are on the BBC, but that's only, you know, every couple of years, every four years, obviously, with the Olympics... I think the Diamond League is shown on terrestrial TV, but it's a bit hidden away. They don't have a regular footprint. When I was growing up, the Bislett Games, that was a huge thing. It was on BBC One, Primetime. You knew the big names in, in athletics then and in a lot of other sports. You mentioned on the Christmas special, me, me and Nick uh, Metcalf, about show jumping. I mean, it used to be huge. You didn't have to follow a sport to know who the sort of key people were in the sport. But now, oddly enough, the TV coverage is much better because somewhere you'll be able to watch pretty much anything. But you have to go look for it. And it all becomes a bit niche and you don 't sort of stumble across stuff snooker on the other hand is in the privileged position we 're on the BBC we 're on ITV we 're on uh, in case of the home nations dmax and of course the the other events are all on eurosport as well discovery plus so and again this is slightly a British angle so apologies for people in other parts of the world because I know every country has a different uh, sort of setup but we are very uh, fortunate that we have a significant footprint and that with better promotion, which I think is happening now, is starting to drive more interest. So, as the year starts, I'm in a good mood. That's the, <laughs> that's the bottom line. I'm optimistic about the sport, how we're standing and how we're looking. And uh, let's, hope that, uh, let's hope that continues. Some of the guys are out in Macau, of course. I struggle to decide which was my favourite of those events, the first one or the second one. Uh, the first one was won by Mark Selby, the second by Mark Williams. Of course, none of it was, uh, was shown anywhere. Um, they were exhibitions let's be clear I mean on day one of the first one there were two maximums you know (laughs) so that tells you maybe a little bit about it Um, it, there was less pressure on the players the players I spoke to a couple of the players who went out there um, who were playing in the championship league and they they actually said the same thing which is they enjoyed the trip and they were just really well looked after they were made to feel special and who doesn't want to be made to feel special obviously in a lot of tournaments that kind of doesn't happen Um, But they were pampered, they put up in nice hotels, You know, they took their families out for Christmas, all enjoyed it. Snooker was a little bit secondary, I think. Um, But they went out there and good luck to them, why not? They got well paid, no problem with that at all. Obviously there was a bit of a kerfuffle initially about one of them clashing with the Northern Ireland Open, that was resolved. I do think down the line, it could be that some of these events, if there's more of them, and you've got to think there will be, there could be more of a structure to them to make them more kind of credible as events. And maybe, I mean, you go back in the 1980s, there was a very uh, good and reputable promoter who went to places in the Far East. He put on tournaments in China, Japan, Malaysia, Singapore, Dubai. His name was Barry Hearn. <laughs> and he would clash with the WPWC, uh administration of the time because they kind of didn't like, you know, the, the threat of, oh, he's putting on these events, they might clash with ours. The wheel has turned a little bit there, hasn't it? And eventually an accommodation was made, and I think it could be here. And I think you could even have a sort of... I mean, obviously, a lot of these events are only for the top players, we know that. But there could be some sort of... Call it a World Series, call it whatever you want, that sort of joins them up. There could be an order of merit or something that makes them, I guess, a bit more credible. It'd be great to have TV coverage, obviously, if an accommodation could be found between these independent promoters and World Snooker Tour. That's, you know... To come down the line, but if there's going to be more of them, it'd be nice if they a we could watch them. That'd be that'd be good, and b if they were sort of seen to be more meaningful because all we really got were a few pictures. There was one of the players told me that there was sort of they were told about okay, well be careful your sort of social media posting and all that. I'm not sure that's anyone's business what they put on there. Frankly, I, I don't see any problem with them uh, putting stuff up. I'm, I, I don't know about that because I actually saw a lot of pictures from players, so I'm not actually convinced that, that was that was even a thing. But anyway. Uh, the tournaments went on, people enjoyed it, and uh, the two marks were the winners. And feeding into that, there's going to be a uh, discussion, I think, about coming up about the players' contracts. There are players grumbling and not happy about some of the clauses in it. And But grumbling only gets you so far. I said initially, when the sort of Macau 5 story came out, that the players, if they, if they want the contracts changed, have to actually be serious about it have to come up with proposals and present them and now it seems that's going to happen because Matt Selt, uh, as I said an unlikely politician but he is on the new WPSA players board and he's done an interview with Phil the on Metro Online very interesting and I don't think Matt would mind me saying that I actually spoke to him off the record at Leicester last week and everything he told Phil he told me in private so there's no sort of hidden agenda what he said on the record is exactly what he's saying off the record and that is what he's trying to do is sort of get rid of the apathy in the game amongst players, the idea that we can't change anything. His argument is, well actually if we put together proposals and put them to Will Tour, maybe we can change things and I think that's perfectly reasonable. Um, the players' contract is one thing. He's talking about uh, sort of the ranking system, the sort of tier going back to a tier draw, all of that stuff. And what he wants to do is is get together with Will Tour in a room and discuss it all. and, and I think that's <laughs> perfectly reasonable. I think that's where it should be discussed rather than in the press or on social media. I'm sure Will Snooker will will be uh, amenable to that, and hopefully there'll be discussions. The players won't get everything they want, but they may get some things. Uh, What they will get, though, I think, is a little bit of a dose of reality, because they talk about constantly what they want, but they might also want to ask what the commercial partners in the sport want, the broadcasters, the sponsors, and... My further extension: the, the ticket-buying public, because they're the three constituencies that put money into the sport. <laughs> they pay for the sport, so they have to be happy. If they, what system do they want? What you know, what ranking system do they want? They have to be consulted. I'm not saying players don't as well, but you know, it's not all about what the players want. Clearly, I heard it on on Nick and Phil's podcast, the the, the, the one they've done since the uh, well, I think it was this week, I think, or might have been the one after the Christmas special. Anyway, there was an email there from someone saying, oh, the the game shouldn't be run by Matchroom, it should be run by the players with the board of directors. Uh, No, it should not. That's how it used to be run. That's exactly how it used to be run, and it was not any good because the wrong people ended up running the sport, often through sort of grace and favour and and proxy votes and EGMs and all that stuff. There were some good people as well, don't get me wrong, but the system left them vulnerable to being voted off every every year or sometimes in EGMs every six months. It didn't work. Um, it didn't work. The system we have now is much better. Obviously, there has to be uh, proper scrutiny of what was Nukatura doing, and there is. Um, but going back to that, no thanks. And, and the players have a role to play, but you know, they, if, they, if, play, if, if players were left to purely make decisions based on playing matters instead of commercial matters, the game would not be doing as well as it is. Uh, looking forward, I think we're going to see a couple of announcements. I mean, Barry Hearn's been talking for a long time about Saudi Arabia. It seems that that's quite likely to happen this year. So next season, it looks like we'll possibly be going there. There's talk of another event in China. It's talk at the moment. We haven't had any announcements. But hopefully, you know, the calendar will start to fill up a bit. And uh, that's, that's what we want. But good luck to Matt to the guys there. And let's hope that a little bit of peace and, and sort of common sense can come to bear. As I say, they're not going to get everything they want. But if they go about things the right way, then I'm sure uh, World Snooker Tour would be more kind of amenable to sitting down and actually discussing it like adults, which is what we want, isn't it? Um, <coughs> other good news over the Christmas period. Hazel Irvin, um, the BBC presenter, has been made an MBE in the New Year's Honours list. Um, I'll say this about Hazel. She's not only one of the best sports broadcasters in Britain, she's one of the best broadcasters, full stop. She's worked very hard and she continues to work hard on everything she does she's always brilliant at the olympics and those multi-sport events where you have to shift from one sport to another and kind of become an expert on on them all and she is incredibly good at passing on information and imparting knowledge um brilliant with everyone she works with you won't hear a bad word about her and uh i was delighted to see that she got that and i was actually made me think of something really which i it only occurred to me recently but If you go back to the 2022 World Championship, obviously Ronnie O'Sullivan winning the seventh world title, that hug he had with Judd Trump and the the sheer emotion that poured out of him, the tears. Hazel did something very classy there that I'm not sure most people would have done, including myself, actually. She didn't ask Ronnie or Judd about what had been said in that conversation. She recognised that it was actually private. Now, obviously, subsequently, because they were mic'd up, or Ronnie was, it has come out in the documentary. That's fine, OK? But at, the, at that moment, the easy thing would have been to press them. What did, he, what did he say to you? What, what did you say to each other? She didn't do that. She recognised Ronnie was emotional. She recognised that that was a moment between them. And she left it alone. And I think that really sums up what a classy operator she is. So congratulations to Hazel. Obviously, she'll be on duty this week for the BBC. And also congratulations to Kelly Fisher, who's uh, also been made an MBE. Now, Kelly was uh, former Women's World Champion... Um, she came sort of just after her namesake, uh, Alison Fisher, and it uh, was really the dominant force in between that era and the era of Ryan Evans. so Kelly won seven world titles uh, at, at snooker and then because the women 's game wasn 't sort of faring so well, um, she moved on to uh, the, the pool uh, circuit. American Pool Circuit, where she still plays now. She'd been very successful there, won a lot of titles there. Um, And, you know, every credit to her. That's that's an incredible sort of achievement to do well in one sport and then go and dominate another one. Um, And she had, I mean, Alison Fisher had gone there as well. She sort of followed her in her footsteps. She won five world titles. Sorry, not seven. I was getting confused with Alison, actually. Yeah, she won five world titles. That's still plenty, I think. That's still plenty. Um... The women's game for a long time was run by the WPBC and, and they started to experience financial problems in the early 2000s. And this was the absolute nadir and I think this is why Kelly in the end packed it in. They played the final at the Crucible um, on one of the mornings of the semi-final. So obviously that, that, that when it goes down to one table they have the, uh, the semi-finals starting in the afternoon. But they wanted to make sure obviously that, that they, they didn't want to run into the semi-final or have to come off and come back later So they started really early. They started at half past nine, I think it was, the the women's final. Um, And they got there. This was the last year of it, 2003. They got there. And the match balls were locked in a cupboard. And the person with the key wasn't there. This is the World Championship final. Um, You know, the writing was kind of on the wall for women's snooker at that point. I think that sort of said, I mean, she won the tournament. But I think that said to Kelly, you know, this is going nowhere. So she went off to America to play pool. she had been a great success there. And, of course, now the women's game has done a lot better. It's back under the um, sort of governorship of the WPSA. Of course, there's two tour cards every year for the women uh, on the main tour, professional tour. There's the mixed doubles as well. is coming up uh, at, uh, in early April, end of March, early April. So things uh, are better now, clearly. But anyway, she's um, doing well in America, and she is an MBE. So congratulations to Hazel and Kelly. And uh, some big news this week as well. The World Snooker Tour website has been revamped quite significantly. Um, A new look, new features. Most importantly, I think the scoring system has completely been revamped. And it is excellent. You know, credit where it's due, it is excellent. Firstly, the design of the website, I think, is much clearer. I mean, obviously, I know when something changes, you know, you, you, you... you probably get used to it after a couple of weeks But at the moment it looks very fresh, it looks dynamic, more modern I think if someone's coming from the outside and clicks on that website They will think, oh this is a sport that you know looks kind of exciting and dynamic That's good, and, and people have dished out criticism Certainly for the scoring system, the temporary one Which I think a lot of which has been fair enough But now, I can tell you, I was using it during the week for the Championship League And it is excellent, it's very comprehensive, there's lots of stats there that you can follow like you know, Average shot times and, and points in the match Breaks in the match Table time Very useful actually um, And we used it And it was great And it uh, looks really good So yeah, great um, A lot of work clearly has gone into it It was sort of promised earlier in the season Anyway, it's come now And uh, I mean you're never going to please everybody I'm sure there's, there's some people who, who will find fault with it But I, I think it's excellent Don't like the font But that, that doesn't really matter <laughs> What I think about that Other than that It's good. What I would like to see um, is maybe a a little bit more, I don't mean it may be coming, I don't know, but a little bit more content in terms of sort of, uh, let's hear a few more opinions maybe. Let's, maybe one week could have a referees column or the next week a commentator or maybe a fan. Why not a fan column? Players column. Things like that. Different people in and around the sport maybe giving a few views I mean, obviously, World Snooker don't want sort of opinions that they can't get behind. I understand that. But maybe a little bit more of that. But anyway, it's a, it's, it looks good. It's, the scoring is very nicely done. Um, there's just a slight issue with some of the stats. There's a lot of stats on there. Um, there's, a, I think a couple of glitches, maybe. A couple of things were a little bit wrong. Um, for example, you click on Sean Murphy's profile, it says... He hasn't won a tournament this season when, quite clearly, he won the Championship League, which is a world ranking event. So there's a couple of things that need to be ironed out, but I'm going to cut them some slack because it's all a lot of data to handle there, so I'm sure it'll be ironed out in due course. But anyway, the, the, the headline is that it's good, it looks good, and I look forward to using it. And as I say, having used it this week at the Championship League, the um, the live scoring uh, is superb. I mean, that was the main issue I think people had It was very trying. I was speaking to a player last week who said he'd stop going on there because it was so bad. But now I'm sure he'll be back on because it it looks good. That's it. It looks good. And uh, well done to all involved. Uh, We also had, uh, just after Christmas, the 900, the Seniors event at Epsom. And that was live on Channel 5, another terrestrial channel. And that did really well in there, um, I understand. So uh, that was uh, won by Stephen Hendry, who beat Jimmy White in the final uh, Jimmy missed the black off the spot. I mean, the years fell away. Thirty years fell away for those who remember the nineteen ninety four final. Although uh, Jimmy did have a chance after that, Henry flew to yellow. Didn't apologise. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was good fun. I didn't see all of it. I have to be honest. I saw the first hour and the last hour. In between, I was at the cinema. <laughs> not that not that anyone cares about that. But um, I, I enjoyed what I saw. Very professional production. Um, looked really good. Again, the look of things matters, and it looked really good. Then there was a nice setup there with the tables uh, around the table, people having a dinner and a drink. Um, they did that years ago. Jo- Joe Johnson and his business partner organised when the World Seniors Championship came back, organised it and in Bradford, and they had the same setup. And it's very convivial because, of course, you can enjoy a, a drink and a you know people people didn't mind a bit of chat, but you can also watch the snooker. I think it was kind of aimed at a corporate audience, which is fair enough. Um, and yeah, I'm sure it'll be coming back because it did well and. It was well-supported. What was interesting, though, I mean, the 900, if you haven't seen it, um, it's 900 seconds, so it's 15 minutes. Um, and from what I could see, there weren't many sort of matches that came down to the last few seconds. It, that, that just shows you how good these guys still are, the fact that they can you know, get these frames won in that time. Of course, it the, the rules are slightly different. It's um, ball in hand after a foul, which I think makes a big difference. A bit harsh at times. I mean, I saw Joe Johnson... Um, he miscued on, on one shot. I think it was on a brown, which is bad enough. But then he, the, on, he went in off in the same shot. Now, the miscue wasn't a foul, but obviously the in-off was. And I can't remember who was playing, maybe Ken Doherty. He had ball in hand. Um, but anyway, uh, we have had an email about the 900, actually. So uh, we'll get into that section of the show. Uh, I say that, I'm, I'm just looking for uh, are. <laughs> nothing changes, does it? Here we go. Keith has written in. He says, Happy New Year. I enjoyed the 900 on Channel 5. I've never seen this format before. It's so much better than the shootout. Can we kill off the shootout format and just use the 900, I wonder? It was interesting that almost all the frames finished comfortably within the time limit anyway, without feeling rushed. Obviously, a few issues, such as ball in hand being too much of a penalty and often deciding the frame. Could we have a free hit rule so that you have to hit the white to your chosen area of the table rather than just placing it there? it would at least require some skill and avoid the Taylor-Hendry situation. Now, I didn't see that, but I believe Dennis picked the white up at one point, um, which was obviously a foul. I think he thought it had stopped running. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, he says, uh, Keith continues, also the whole thing about having to hit a cushion, I can see that it that's to avoid stalemates, but it seems like overkill. Perhaps if two or three consecutive shots do not reach a cushion, the next one must. I still think there's a place for a normal one-frame tournament without any rule changes, pop black style, but it was good to see another channel Showing Snooker in any form. Thank you, Keith. Yeah, I agree with that last point. It was good to see, it. obviously, Snooker on Channel Five, and uh, you know the team there—Rachel uh, and Neil and, and Rianne—all did a fine job. Um, I mean, you say it's better than the shootout. Obviously, it borrows heavily from the shootout. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The ball in hand, the hit in the cushion, and so on. Um, and also, this is a, a format that's you know independently promoted, so there's, there's no prospect of it being of it, of it replacing the shootout. Um, but anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, We've had some feedback as well from the uh, Scottish Open, Uh, obviously before Christmas, people who've attended, so it's always good to hear what people think who attended. And uh, we start with Colin Johnston, uh, who went along. So Colin writes, as others have done in the past, I thought I'd provide some feedback on attending a recent tournament, namely the Scottish Open in Edinburgh. Being lucky enough to live on the outskirts of Edinburgh, I attended the Scottish Open twice, on the Tuesday and the evening session, hang on, (laughs) sorry, on the Tuesday and the evening session of the final. I felt that the general attendance was a bit up and down, with busy days and less busy days. I wonder if the Scottish Open suffers a little bit, with it being so close to Christmas, with people having other priorities, plus hotels in Edinburgh are quite pricey leading up to Christmas. However, our city is one of the best UK cities to visit at this time of year, with terrific bars and restaurants, so I hope that others might travel up for next year's event. Well, just on that, Colin, I mean, I, I made the point, I've made it a couple of times now, that the attendances were up and down. Overall, they were good, and they, they were great on day one, and they were really good the last three days. The Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they weren't so good, and the point I made was the order of play was not sufficiently advertised. <laughs> and therefore, you know, if you were a Judge Trump fan, you didn't know unless you sort of crawl, you know, you crawl in the web when he was playing, and that might have made a difference to people. So, you know, I'm, I've repeated that, but that's, I think that was an issue. Anyway, Colin continues... Having been to Sheffield in April a few times, the Crucible, it isn't. But although it's a sports centre, it's a very impressive sports centre and recently upgraded. I was lucky enough to have a front row seat for the evening session of the final. The seats were very comfortable, I thought. In fact, to maybe bring some additional culture to the pod. I like the way you say additional culture, as if there was any to start with. Anyway, uh, I was at Edinburgh's Usher Hall the night after the snooker to see the classical violinist Nicola Benedetti. A beautiful venue, but the seats are terrible compared to Meadowbank. Now, you see, i passed over that, the, the violinist. You know, I could make a joke about people being on the fiddle and all that, but I've not done it. I've not done it. Uh, oh, yes, we'll continue. He says, "'The, the top C's dropped away pretty early in the week, "'but I don't think this detracted from uh, the entertainment at all. "'In fact, I thought the final was very intriguing, "'with great backstories of the reigning champion going for a second win "'plus the very likable Nopon nop-on in his first final, "'especially given his emotion after his semi-final win.'" I didn't see a merchandise stand at all, and although there were plenty of restaurants nearby, there was one burger van outside the venue and a snack counter inside. Could maybe be more and better options. Edinburgh has a very vibrant f- street food scene and many trendy food trucks. Thought that maybe one or two of them could have been close by. One question, I'm not sure if you commentated on the match. I was in the venue to watch the John higgins Hergu kwong match. It seemed to me a turning point in frame two or three was a strange shot by her on the blue to the middle pocket. I can only assume it was a miscue, as it missed by so much... It didn't sound like a miscue in the venue. Let's just say it looked like a bum note. Not something I experienced at the Usher Hall the following night. Did you see it? And can you clear this up for me? I'm looking forward to attending next year's Scottish Open and, of course, seeing Gary Wilson in the final again. <coughs> well, yes, indeed, Gary, of course, uh, successful tw- twice there, two years right There. I mean, overall, you seem to enjoy it, and uh, yeah, you seem to. Uh, the seats were good, and that's that's nice to hear because we don't always hear that. But uh, from Gordon to Colin. The seats were good. I didn't actually commentate on the Higgins match. and It seems so long ago now, I I, I literally cannot remember the shot or whether I even saw it at the time. I know that's not very helpful, Colin, (laughs) but thanks for writing in. We also had uh, Jennifer Best, uh, who has also attended. Jennifer writes, Hi Dave, happy new year. Hope you enjoyed a well-earned break. I did, Jennifer, thank you. Uh, She says, I know this is so last year, but I have a couple of points on the Scottish Open. Firstly, on the issue of attendance, I'm wondering why tickets weren't available specifically for the morning-afternoon sessions earlier in the week. i bought the early bird offer for the whole of the opening day, which is without a doubt excellent value, with the intention of buying a ticket for either Tuesday or Wednesday nearer the time. However, my plans were totally scuppered, by the after-effects of Covid and I missed the opening day I was determined to attend at some stage so bought a ticket for the Wednesday the only options were either an all-day or an evening ticket there was no way I was fit for either the whole day or a late night so I bought the all-day ticket knowing I would would skip the evening session I ended up feeling short-changed on two counts a having to pay for an all-day ticket and b the juicier matches were scheduled for the evening session I appreciate my experiences very specific but there are many reasons people might only want to attend during the day, especially in the run-up to Christmas. As you've said yourself, one of the good things about having the tournament in Edinburgh is there are other things to do. But that means there are other things for the, for the snooker to compete with, and also accommodation isn't exactly cheap. Offering a reasonably priced morning-afternoon ticket might tempt people along who might want to do something else in Edinburgh in the evening. Also, I think having morning-afternoon tickets might attract people from further afield who have quite a bit of travelling time. My trip through from Glasgow by public transport was not far off being a four-hour round trip door-to-door, and I live in the centre of Glasgow. Given this is only the only tournament in Edinburgh, is there... Hang on. Uh, Given this is the only tournament in Scotland, the least densely populated part of the UK, it seems odd to me to offer only all day or evening tickets on Sundays. I did wonder if the ticketing options were a home nation's thing, but the 2024 Welsh and English Opens offer morning and afternoon, all day and evening options. So hopefully the 2024 Scottish Open will follow suit.' Uh, my, I'll just on that Jennifer I, yeah, I don't know uh, why that was It does seem a bit odd But um, as you say Maybe if anyone listens to this They'll uh, take that on board uh, She says My second point is about the noise in the arena In what Jimmy, if Jim, what Jimmy White said about the tournament Staying in at Meadowbank is right Maybe the venue could invest in some non-creaky stairs There's a twisted part of me that finds it funny Watching people creeping up and down the stairs Like cat burglars But it's clearly distracting for the players And also embarrassing for the fans that apart, Meadowbank is a great venue, and I look forward to going back there this year in better health. Uh, one final report, thought, I thought the pre-event info issued by World Snooker Tour was really useful. Even though I attended last year, it was still useful to receive was a handy reference point. Thanks for reading, and I hope you have a healthy and happy 2024. Yes, you too, and uh, yes, there the, the was talk about... Um, the venue being a bit loud But I don't know what you could do with that really I mean you say creaky stairs But I guess that's just how it's uh, configured But anyway It sounds like another thumbs up For the Scottish Open uh, I mentioned the Christmas special Of course uh, Phil Haig had a, a joke section um, That uh, Well it, <laughs> it was it was a tribute to the joke session we had on here I.e. not funny But um, one of the jokes uh, c- Caused a huge uh, ecclesiastical row I was expecting uh a stern letter from Robert Runcie at one point Uh, (laughs) Robert Runcie I mean there's a contemporary reference anyway uh, Christine has written in she sort of adapted the joke why did Pontius Pilate fail his snooker and referee exam he let the crowd decide if it was a free ball that's quite a clever uh, theological joke there thank you Christine Um, anyway uh, we continue Uh, John uh, has written in And uh, this was, now Phil and Nick actually read this out on their podcast, but I feel I should read it out on this one because, well, I'll explain why. John says, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for keeping me company throughout the year. I get so much pleasure from listening to your two podcasts and they complement each other so well. I especially enjoy the in-depth tournament analysis that Nick and Phil provide alongside Dave's opinions, positivity and encouragement for viewers to write in and share their views, which always get read out. When both podcasts popped up to listen to, I was torn and didn't know which channel to listen to. So now I've listened to the show twice, one on each channel, so you both get a listening figure. It was six hours of pure joy. Long live Stuka! Well, thank you, John. And I thought I should read that out as well, because as you've listened to it twice, I think it's only fair your email gets run out twice. Um, six hours of that, my word. <laughs> now then, of course, the master's coming up, and Matt Tresco, the great Matt Tresco, is written in, because he is the author of the Master's Almanac. And I'm going to put a link to this in what we rather grandly call the show notes. Um, So you can click on it, hopefully, through there. All sorts of things in there. Uh, I think he's been going for three years now, this. Um, He's got a couple of new sections, he says. He's got uh, champions who've lost their first match in the defence of the title. In recent years, a high number of defending champions have fallen at the first hurdle. It's happened ten times in the last 19 tournaments. Will judge Trump fare better this year? He's also got frequencies of 30+, 50+, 70+, and century breaks for each player... And the tournament down the years. He says, as you'd expect, the number of high breaks has increased over time. Only around half of the frames played in 1975, 51%, contained a 30 break. And there were no centuries. Last year, over a fifth of the frames, 21.9%, had a century. <laughs> I always stick with this, and Chris Downer, of course, the, the Crucible Almanac as well. It, it's that first day when you start. It's already well updating it, okay, and that's that takes time, but that first day when you. It must have been pretty, pretty forbidding typing that first thing out, 1975, the first results. But he's done it, and of course the question is now, will someone will someone complete the Triple Crown <laughs> and uh, do a UK Championship Almanac? That's one thing I would question on the World Snooker Tour rebrand. They did a video um, uh, about the World... The tri- they've updated the Triple Crown logo, which is big news. And they, they said, same heritage, new logo. Now, the fact is, there's only ever been one Triple Crown logo. It's from four years ago. I'm not sure that quite counts as heritage. I'm literally wearing a T-shirt now that's that's older than that. Uh, But anyway, that's a a small point and we'll we'll let it pass. Kerry Richard writes in, I feel I should know the answer to this, but are the early rounds at the Crucible the only occasion on tour when players are seated next to each other as opposed to opposite each other? Well, Kerry, yes, I think it is. And it's pretty awkward. I was talking to uh, Mark Selby about this actually in the week and uh, just just, just chatting about it and, and he made the point that I mean, Mark will talk to anyone, but equally, he, he understands not everyone wants to chat. Um, and it can be a bit awkward because, obviously, the position in the match can, might dictate it. You know, if you're getting sort of hammered, maybe you don't want to talk to the other guy. Uh, equally, if it's close and it's tense, maybe you don't want to talk to them. But it, it, They're very close together. I saw the footage. This is interesting. And people people make a lot of fuss about the, uh, the fifth housemate on the young ones. There's another contemporary reference from 40 years ago. But um, there's footage online, check out Bill Werbenek against David Taylor, um, it's on YouTube, 1983, now this was the session where, uh, or certainly the match, where um, Cliff Thorburn made the maximum against Terry Griffiths, but there's two things about this that struck me, there's Bill Werbenek's making a break, and there's no sign at all of David Taylor, and I'm thinking he must be stood, maybe by the press seats, on the black spot end of the table, but then it occurs to me his chair isn't in the corner either, he, he must have moved his chair David Taylor to the other end of the arena um, I've never seen that before but also this is the absolute sensation um, again I mean this you know I feel like I should start charging for this but anyway if you look at the footage okay there's a, a, a very small table um, between the bulk cushion and the audience so that sort of space you know for the players there's a small table why? <laughs> why is that there never seen that there in any other match um, again has it been moved there you know these are the things that need to be investigated there's a small table um, that's been moved close to the audience there's nothing on it what's it doing there oh, this you know there could be a podcast series about this speaking of which uh, WPsa are going to be doing a podcast uh, Matt hewitt announced uh, this week Michael McMullen uh, who used to be on this podcast. Some people saw I discovered him. It's not for me to say. But um, on sort of historic moments in the sport. Now, if you think this is niche, my advice is listen to that. That will be niche. Those two are the Lennon and McCartney of niche, I can assure you. So that will be well worth listening to. I'm not sure when the first episode's out, but uh, I will be subscribing. It's good to have another podcast. And it uh, sounds like, again, it's going to be sort of distinct. So I look, look forward to that. Gianni writes from Greece. Hello, David. I love your podcast. It's the best. Well, thank you, Gianni. What do you think of the tiered system? In my opinion, I think it's the right thing to do and it's fair for all players from the lower ranks to the top. World Snooker, do, do, uh, Snooker Tour must do more to find sponsors in big, big countries like the US, France, Spain, Italy to put on a tournament. I know it's easier said than done, but WST must, must target at big markets like those countries to make the sport even bigger. I can't wait for the Masters. And like I always say, come on, Ronnie. Well, Gianni, of course, Ronnie's got some Italian uh, roots, hasn't he? Although you're from Greece. <laughs> so so that's <laughs> that doesn't quite work. Um, you mentioned Italy in, in passing there. Uh, yes, Gianni. Well, I mean, obviously, um, I'm sure World Snooker would love to put tournaments on there, but uh, it's not so easy to click your fingers and get sponsors. Um, and these tournaments, you know, they cost a lot of money. I've said it before. They cost a lot of money to put on, and ultimately that will decide it. In terms of the tiered system, I mean, this is coming around again. <coughs> My, my view on that is I think actually it would be good to have a mix of formats I think the, the flat draw format works well In for example the Home Nations tournaments Obviously the shootout um, But there's an argument in some of the other events To go to the tiered system uh, The advantage of the tiered system is that Players starting out cannot draw In round one Ronnie O'Sullivan or Judd Trump or Neil Robertson Or Mark Selby or Karen Wilson or you know, Ding Jim We're all the big hitters basically They can't draw them they're going to be playing players of around their standard and they get a chance to improve that way. And also, because it's tiered, certain players after round one are going to be guaranteed prize money, whereas at the moment they're not guaranteed anything unless they win a match. So that's the advantage of it. Um, there seems to be a general shift back towards that in the game. But as, as I said earlier, there are other people other than the players who will have a say in that. And they're the people that put the money into the sport. The broadcasters, the sponsors, the people who buy the tickets. Um so the, the, all that has to be balanced. I think the ranking system as well, obviously, is a sticking point because it's the money-based system. As I said earlier, you know, Matt Selton, the players' board, want to discuss all this, and, and we'll see what comes out in the wash. I've got nothing against the tier system. I thought it worked perfectly well. But maybe we don't need it for every tournament. Maybe there could be a mix, and you know, that might keep everybody happy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think keeping everybody happy in the snooker world is asking a lot, but certainly these things are worth discussing. Now, as far as I can see, that's it for emails. Again, apologies if uh, I missed any out, but uh, we didn't have many over the Christmas period. But why should we? You know, people have got better things to do. But we're now back into the uh, the sort of meat of the season. This is the halfway point. You're going to start hearing a lot about the Crucible and the World Championship coming up. But there's a lot of big tournaments before then. The Players Series, of course, the World Grand Prix, the first event of that starting at the end of January, um, and the German Masters, and you know, the Welsh Open, all that stuff coming up. And, uh, of course, World Open in China as well. Um, and I have to say, uh, and maybe it's just uh, the giddiness of getting back to it, but uh, I do feel good about things as we start the new year. There's going to be a lot of challenges, as there always are, but we're in a pretty good place right now. And I think we're going to be reminded of that this week at a certain tournament at Alexandra Palace. So let's look at the matches. And uh, they're all very interesting. I'm going to go through in uh, the order of play uh, day by day. So Sunday afternoon... The Masters starts with Luca Purcell against Jack Lazowski. What a math watering match this is. A few people were asking me at the Championship League last week why the defending champion, Judd Trump, isn't on on the first afternoon. That's never been a hard and fast rule at the Masters. In recent years, it, it's happened more often than not, but it's not actually it's not laid down in stone like it is at the World Championship. You know, at the Crucible, that, that first morning, 10 o'clock, the defending champion's going to walk out. It's never been the case at the Masters. I think Trump v. Karen Wilson would have been a really good one to launch it. But there's different um, things to consider. And one of them, honestly, is th- th- just the, the, the broadcast schedule. The BBC have got Ski Sunday at 5.15. Now, I'm sure they're looking at as lazowski and thinking, even if he goes the distance, it'll be done by then, so the schedule won't be affected. And things like that, perfectly reasonable uh, things to take into account. The other thing is, Luca Brussel's the world champion. And I don't think anyone... I mean, this, this is a match you're not going to say, well, I'm looking forward to the Masters, but I'm not going to watch that one. You'll be watching that one because it's just an entertaining contest. Two free-flowing players are like to attack. I don't think... Here's the thing: there won't be it won't be a safety dominated match, but the safety that is played will be important because they both like to go for long balls. So obviously, you're looking to not leave chances. So actually, in some ways, the tactical play could be the key thing about that match. Uh, not many meetings to go on between them. Two one to Jack on the head to head. Um, Brissel beat him in the Players Championship last year. Just on the head to heads, by the way, that you'll see on the TV. Um, there are some shorter matches filtered out. Matches that are best of five or below are filtered out, and the reason for that is that, that it's it, it's considered that they're too short a distance to count. And also, something like the Championship League, you can literally that's been going so long that tournament. You could you could have played someone twenty times in it, and it just completely skews the head to head. It's not a fair reflection on the overall sort of proper meetings between them some people if they want to count them all that's up to them but for official purposes they're not so it's 2-1 to Lazowski on the head-to-head my only prediction really well I'm going to predict who's going to win each match but my only real prediction for this one is I think it'll go 6-5 I think this will be a (laughs) 6-5 to start here's the thing okay since the Masters went to best of 11 which I think was about 1996 and that was because the BBC had longer afternoon uh, programmes it's the only reason it was done Gives the the audience there more snooker as well, which is good. But since it went to best of 11, the most common scoreline is 6-4. The second most common scoreline is 6-5. So that tells you that these players are evenly matched, and invariably the matches are close. I'm sure there'll be the odd one that's a runaway because someone will struggle or someone will just buzz and play great. But basically, the matches are usually close. And I think this one will be... I don't know, obviously, who's going to win, but I'm just going to slightly tip towards Brassell. He's, uh, of course, got to the Shanghai Masters final this season, which is another invitation event, of course. Uh, Played well in that event. Hasn't got sort of... I don't know, there's a different... I mean, look, there's pressure at the Masters, obviously. But I think there is a different pressure when it's not a ranking tournament. You're not sort of considering your your ranking position, or in his case, he was sort of playing for the world number one spot in a few of those tournaments. That's kind of gone away now. Um, I just think... Maybe now we're in the second half of the season and there'll be a lot more talk of the Crucible. Maybe he will be knuckling down a bit more. He's enjoyed himself as world champion, that's fair enough. But there's some big tournaments coming up. There's some work to be done for him uh, to get to the Crucible in some sort of shape. And maybe, maybe this is the start of it. Lazowski, of course, got to the semis last year. Um, again, you've got to credit Jack. You know, he's, he's the only top 16 player who's not won a ranking event. But that in itself is an achievement to be in the top sixteen. The ranking money ranking list is so top heavy, you've kind of got to win a tournament to be in it. But he's in it without doing that. And that tells you he's gone deep in a lot of events, won a lot of matches, been very consistent. Uh, Mark Williams beat him sixth in the semis last year, sort of schooled him a little bit on in the sort of tactical stakes. It was a bit of a masterclass from Williams. But I I, I do people have said this and I kind of agree. We know he's not won a tournament yet. But it could well be that his first tournament is a big one. You kind of feel that could be the case, because, all right, he's not won a tournament, and that's a fact, but there is there is star quality, there's star power about Jack Lajewski, and you just kind of feel, if the breakthrough comes, it will be in a big one, and obviously the Masters is almost as big as they come. So... All that said, I'm just going for Bruxelles, but that's one of those where, I mean, I'm not a gambler anyway, but if if I was, I I think I'd be leaving that one alone. It's a very tough one to call. Not much sort of Masters pedigree to go on for either of them, other than that semi-final for Jack. Uh, Sunday night, this is an interesting one, I think, because it includes the only debutant in the event. It's Sean Murphy against Zhang Ander. Zhang is going to be the 95th player to play at the Masters in 50 years. Not that many, really, but of course... Obviously, each year, most of the top 16 from the previous year come back. It's very hard to get in the 16. Of course, he's done it through stealth, really. Runner-up in a tournament, then winner of a tournament. 13 in the world. Sean Murphy, of course, uh, has got a couple of Masters titles to his name. Um, in terms of their head-to-head, again, not much to go on to. One to Murphy... We don't know how Zhang's going to take to that environment first time there. The sort of script or the sort of convention would say, well, he'll struggle because he's not used to it. But it doesn't always work that way. We've seen players go to the Masters, win it on their first attempt. Most famously, Stephen Hendry. Uh, Mark Selby did the same. It's asking a lot for Zhang to do that. But you just don't know. I mean, people thought when he got to the semis of the International Challenge, he was playing Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's slightly, it's, it's a different uh, venue. But, you know, there's a big crowd in. One table two sessions, big pressure playing Ronnie of course and he beat him and then he got to the final, well how will he get on there? Made a match won that as well so even at the Champion of Champions he, he did make a slow start but he only lost 4-3 on the black to Ding in the end so you know the sort of convention says oh he'll struggle and, and Sean Murphy's experience will be too much but it's not necessarily going to be the case uh, Sean obviously is an entertainer, he loves the big stage, he won't be overawed by it at all and that does count in his favour. So, on that basis, I kind of do go for Sean Murphy there. But again, you know, it's not these matches are not easy to predict. The tournament's not easy to predict. Just feel, OK, the one thing in the pro column for Murphy is his experience. His results, it's got to be said, uh, in recent tournaments have not uh, been that great. And I say results rather than form. It doesn't mean he's not played well. It means he made a maximum at the shootout. But uh, lost first round at the Scottish Open lost his first match at the UK Championship, lost his first match at the English Open. So since winning that Championship League in the summer, you know, the results have tailed off a little bit, but that doesn't mean, you know, it won't turn around in the second half of the season. There's a lot of snooker still to be played. Sean Murphy will enjoy the Alexandra Palace environment for sure. So, yeah, I'm going to just about go for him. By the way, I'm brussels and this leads us into the next match, which is Ronnie O'Sullivan, Ding and Wee. Priscilla, of course, reigning world champion. The last reigning world champion to win the Masters was Ronnie O'Sullivan 10 years ago. He won the World Championship 2013, he won the Masters 2014. Since then, the world champion, the reigning world champion, that is, has not won the Masters. So that tells you... And In fact, I look back the previous two examples of the world champion winning it were 2009, Ronnie O'Sullivan, and 2005, Ronnie O'Sullivan. So in 20 years... The world champion has only won the Masters. The reigning world champion has only won the Masters three times. And it's always been Ronnie O'Sullivan. And, of course, he is the record holder at the Masters. Seven titles. At the UK Championship, of course, this season, he became the oldest winner, having been the youngest winner. And he can repeat that feat here. He won the Masters at 19 in 1995. He's now 48. He would be the oldest winner if he did win it this year. His record against Ding is formidable. 20 wins to 5. I actually sort of tried to make the case for Ding here because he has played great stuff this season, actually. And at the UK Championship, you know, he didn't do much wrong in that final. From seven each, O'Sullivan just absolutely buzzed, dazzled, delighted, put it however you want. Um, so you'd like to make the case for Ding. But the fact is, it's not only the 20 wins to five O'Sullivan's gone over him. They played five times at the Masters, and O'Sullivan's won them all. Probably the most famous was the 2007 final, that he won 10-3. But he's won all the meetings since as well. Including the most recent in round one three years ago, twenty twenty one six five. So uh, it's kind of hard to make a case for Ding, other than the fact that he's scoring well. He's made a century in each of his last thirteen matches. That's pretty good going. You know, that's that's a long sort of kind of stretch of matches. He made a century in each of his last thirteen matches. So he is playing good stuff. Of course, he's going to have to play good stuff to beat Ronnie. It's by no means impossible. By no means, we don't know what sort of shape O'Sullivan's oh, in. He spent most of Christmas over in Macau and, and China, and you know, he's been busy there. But with him, I kind of feel that doesn't matter. Um, he has said that Alexandra Palace is not his most sort of uh, popular or favourite venue, uh, but he <laughs> but he has won the tournament there three times, so, <laughs> so it can't be that bad. Most recently, seven years now, 2017, and the fact that it's seven years, you kind of feel maybe he could be due another one. I don't know, but... Kind of, it, it's hard to go against Ronnie O'Sullivan there for me, and therefore I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go O'Sullivan. And then Monday night, we've got Ali Carter and uh, Mott Williams. Mott Williams, of course, runner up last year to Judd Trump. There's an argument to be made that he played uh, the best snooker of the tournament, but he didn't win the tournament. You kind of think a close final, quite tactical, would favour him against Trump, but of course, Judge Trump won 10 8. Uh, Mark Williams twice, the Masters champion, of course, 1998 on the re-spot, 10-9 against Stephen Hendry, and then again, 2003. Ali Carter has not played at the Masters since he was runner-up four years ago, 2020 to Stuart Bingham. He played really well. Of course, he got in because O'Sullivan didn't enter. Played really well in the final. Bingham played great right at the end to win 10-8. I know I spoke to Ali last week. He's really itching to get back there, looking forward to it. Uh, the head head between these two, 11-6 to Williams. They've not played in a in a sort of big tournament for five years now, so no recent sort of meetings to go on. I mean, it's the same script, really, isn't it? But this again is tough. Obviously, Williams can can tough out a win against anybody, and again, he's you know he's temperament wise, he's sort of perfect for for a big event like this. But Ali Carter, because he hasn't been there for a while, was so determined to do well. And he's had a week of snooker at the Championship League, or two days of it anyway, where you know he played some good stuff, made the highest break in Group 2, 1-4-2. Um, so on that basis, I think if you're looking for an outsider, and you don't really get, strictly speaking, outsiders in a 16-man event, but if you are looking for an outsider to, to do well, I think Ali Carter could be the man. Wouldn't surprise me if he got on a bit of a run there. So just on the basis of kind of gut instinct, really, which is all you can go on, I'm just about going to go for Ali Carter there, but obviously, you know, if Mark Williams wins, it's not any any great shock at all. Tuesday afternoon, possibly the match of the round. Judd Trump, Corran Wilson, Trump, defending champion. Uh, last player to defend the title was O'Sullivan in 2017. Of course, Judd Trump beat O'Sullivan in 2019 in that wonderful final, 10-4. Then Mark Williams last year, 10-8. He's been the player of the season, obviously. Three wins in a row, five finals. And even the tournaments he didn't win. He went deep in the UK Championship semi-finals. Um, Scottish Open lost second round to Zhang Ander. But Zhang, obviously, that was a stinking draw for both. And Zhang played really well. Uh, Close head-to-head with Karr Wilson. There was a while, it's got to be said, I think Wilson got under his skin a bit. 10-9 to Trump on the head-to-head. So not much in it. He played at the Masters in the quarter-finals last year, though. uh, Two years ago, sorry. 2022. Trump won 6-1. Wilson does have a win over him in the semis in 2018, there was a little spell where they kind of didn't get on. There was a few words said, but that's gone away now. They're kind of friendly, which is not good news for the media, obviously, but, uh, you know, all is well between them. Um, Kyron has had four good days of snooker at the Championship League. Uh, you know, he's played in. I have to say, though, I'm not sure that necessarily means anything, really, because Trump would have been practising all week as well. Now, obviously, Kyron is playing in a match environment where it kind of does matter, but Judd Trump is very hard worker. He'll have been putting the work in. So the fact that Karin's had the four days and he hasn't, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to tip the balance in Wilson's favour. It's strange to say it because the, the head-to-head 10-9 Trump, it's obviously very close. But if Wilson won, I think that would count as a shock um, because he's had very little form in general this season, just one quarter final in ranking events. Obviously Trump we've seen a hell of a lot of in the latter stages of tournaments. The danger for Trump, of course, and we, do, we have seen this over the last few years, Players often have a purple patch where they peak and then the form kind of dips off. Now, the question is, has he peaked and will he have a couple of maybe months where he's not doing so well or will he maintain that level? He'll be determined, obviously, to maintain that level, but you can't just kind of produce that all the time. So it's not an absolute guaranteed win at all. I know a lot of people fancy Trump for the title, but, you know, that's a tough match. Kyron Wilson, very they call him the warrior. Very determined, dogged competitor. He could cause a lot of problems. Having said all that, you know, thinking about it all, I am going to kind of go for Trump just because the season he's had, I can't really see the reason not to. I think, you know, looking at it sort of logically, what is the reason not to go for him? So on that basis, Joe Trump, but again, it's another one of those where you wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way. Now, I think possibly the most intriguing match would be Tuesday night, Neil Robertson, Barry Hawkins. Because, of course, Robertson has not had a good season. um, On the Crucible uh, projected seedings, he's 30th. And, of course, not being in the Players' Series, or certainly not being in the first one, the World Grand Prix, can't earn ranking points from those events. So he's sort of running out of tournaments. He's in the German Masters, the Welsh Open, the World Open. But at the moment, as it stands, they're the only three ranking events he's got before the World Championships to, to get back up the list. And on that provisional list... He's about a hundred grand off the top sixteen now. So you know, unless he starts winning tournaments, he's gonna to have to win two matches to qualify for the Crucible. Now bearing in mind basically the last decade he's turned up in Sheffield as literally one of the two or three favourites to win that tournament. That's pretty incredible. But of course it's the two year rolling system. Because he's been so successful, those points are coming off and because he's not winning matches now, he's not getting points on, he's dropped like a stone. That can turn around and I think for that reason, although this is not a ranking event, I think this is a massive week for Neil Robertson. I think he could really turn a corner if he does well at the Masters. Obviously winning it would be great, but even just getting some good wins there for his confidence. He's been back home in Australia over Christmas he wanted to go and see his family, which you know, I can absolutely understand. Most players are not in that position, or or if you want to see your family, for most players obviously British, you just drive and see them, you know, you travel to see them. But Neil has of course been on the other side of the world for, for many years now to pursue his dream and, and has made sacrifices and I think people you who know, have, not, have not made them maybe don't appreciate the homesickness and the, the sort of sense of loss and separation and distance that he's had from his loved ones so you, you can kind of understand that he wanted to go home and maybe he returns, you can look at it two ways maybe he returns from that feeling great again you know he's, he's had that time with his family or maybe he comes back and actually kind of wishes he was still there uh, I, I'm guessing he hasn't been practising every day because why would you? He's had some time off, it's been you know a trip back home but now it's back to work. It's a tough draw against Barry Hawkins. I mean, They played in the final, of course, uh, two years ago and, and it's got to be said, Robertson won that pretty comfortably, 10-5. He beat him then in the Players' Championship, sorry, 10-4, he beat him in the Players' Championship just after that 10-5. So he's had uh, the beating of Barry really. It's 12-4 to Robertson on the head-to-head. Uh, But Barry Hawkins, in terms of form this season, you you would actually put ahead of him. Uh, Barry has been, of course, the winner of the European Masters. Overall, had a consistent campaign. Of course, he's got his top 16 place back. Um, And even in terms of the the Masters last year, of course, he he, uh, beat Mark Allen 6-0 in one of the great performances last season. Really terrific performance. Got to the quarterfinals. He's been, uh, of course, runner-up twice, 2016 and 2022, he's been semi-finalist 2017. So he's won matches at the, at the Masters and he's a man not to be, uh, not to be underrated, of course. Uh, if Robertson could beat him, he would, I believe, play O'Sullivan if he wins. And that could be a massive match for Neil Robertson. If he could beat Ronnie O'Sullivan and then get to the semis, even if he didn't progress after that, I think that could really t- mean he turns a corner this season. If he were to lose to Hawkins, you know, then... You kind of maybe fear a little bit for the rest of his season. And as I say, at the moment, he looks like he'll be qualifying for the World Championship. We'll see. Bottom line is, it's going to be very interesting. I am going to stick my neck out if if that's really what it is and say I think Neil Robertson actually is going to win that match. And I think he could get on a bit of a run at the tournament. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I think this could be where he turns a corner. I just feel with him, things have got about as bad as they can. I'm not sure they could get much worse. The problem I think he's had this season is, I mean, Neil Robertson, possibly more than anyone else in the tournament, is best suited for going out on that stage with that natural confidence he has, sort of chest puffed out, a little bit like Sean Murphy, you know, going out there and, and relishing it rather than being overawed by it. That's, that's always been his thing. But when you're not feeling good in yourself and the, and the form isn't there, it's hard to be like that. And I've noticed some of the matches he's lost this season, he's lost to players who actually have fancied beating him, whereas before they'd be intimidated. Sometimes against someone like him, you're a couple of frames down before you know what's going on. It's not been the case this season, but maybe this is the event that turns things around. And uh, there'll be a lot of snooker fans who hope that Neil Robertson can can turn things around because you know they love watching him, and uh, you know the, the feeling is that there's still plenty of time for him to to sort of get things right this season. Wednesday afternoon, we've got uh, well, this is another terrific game. Mark Allen, John Higgins. They always seem to have close matches, these. They've played in the Masters a few times. And Mark Allen has won 6-3, 6-4, 6-5 and 6-3. So he's won four matches against Higgins there. Higgins won their last meeting in the Masters three years ago, 2021, 6-5. So there's some close matches there, some good matches. they head head-to-head 11-9 to Allen. Mark Allen, of course, has had uh, a terrific uh, year, a couple of years now. Uh, Already this season he's won the champion of champions Where he beat Higgins 6-3 in the semi-finals And he's won the shootout John Higgins has won a lot of matches In tournaments without winning a tournament I do feel though if you were looking For someone who has Done well this season without winning a tournament So gone deep, hasn't quite got the hands on a trophy But maybe is sort of the next cab off the rank In a way It would be John Higgins, he's been in four semi-finals He's played some terrific stuff in those tournaments. He just hasn't quite kept it going. He's lacking these days a bit of consistency match to match. And that match with Nop and Sengham in the semi-finals. And I thought Sengham played brilliantly. But again, Higgins was favourite going into that. Just didn't quite produce the form he needed to to win it. Uh, just the odd shot here and there sort of cost him. So on that basis, you can kind of make a case for Higgins. The interesting thing about John Higgins in the Masters though, it is feast or famine for him. Uh, You look back, he's going to set a record this year, 30 successive uh, appearances, which is phenomenal. Um, Just shows his consistency over the years. He's won it twice. Now, most people would regard that as a career highlight to be a twice-master champion. But he's also lost 14 times in the first round. If he loses this year to Mark Allen in the first round, that's a record, currently shares it, but that's a record number of first-round defeats, which is not necessarily something you want on your CV. So it seems to be... He either goes really deep, because he's been runner-up a few times as well, three times, I think, uh, and he's won it twice, or he loses early. There's no middle ground with Higgins, it seems, in the Masters. Uh, so the question is, what will it be this year? Now, Mark Allen deserves to start favourite, but Mark Allen has not won a match in the Masters, this is true, since he won the tournament <laughs> six years ago. He's lost, in the first round, five years running. Three times 6-5, Brussel Higgins and Trump. Last year, as I say, 6 nil to Hawkins, and also 6-1 to Dave Gilbert in 2020. Now, there's no shame in that, because obviously they're all top players you're going to play in that tournament, but it's a bit odd, really, in a way. You can look at it two ways. You can either say, well, he's got a slight problem now winning at that tournament, or you can say that run's got to end. Um, this will be a close one. I ca- cannot see either player running away with it, personally. I'm going to tip towards John Higgins, which I guess will be a slight upset on, on recent form. But I do feel, as I say, he's the player. If you're look, looking for a player who has won a lot of matches this season but not won a tournament, then it's got to be John Higgins. And anyway, that's my uh, that's my tip. Uh, no wagering. This is all all for fun. And uh, <coughs> finally, Mark Selby and Robert Milkins. This is the uh, the Wednesday night match. Uh, Robert Milkins making his third appearance at the Masters. He's yet to win a match. He's yet to make a century. Highest so Bretton ninety four. He's had rotten draws. I mean, there are no easy draws at the Masters, but he's had Ronnie O'Sullivan, Neil Robertson, and now he's got Mark Selby. Mark Selby, who uh, has beaten him, well, on the head head 10-3. Uh, Milkin's won the most recent at the Welsh Open last season, uh, 4-2. But uh, Selby, a couple of wins in, well, one win at the Crucible, another in world qualifying, and, and sort of the big matches they've played, Mark Selby's won. Uh Mark Selby though, his his record at the uh Masters is kind of interesting because he won it in his first attempt, he's runner up year two, won it in his third year there, and won it again twenty thirteen. So from his first six appearances he won it three times, he was runner up again the next year, that's twenty fourteen. But since then, so we're going back ten years, he's not got got past the quarterfinals of the Masters. So in 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 a decade, a three times champion Mark Selby, who's always one of the favourites, has not got past the quarterfinals. My theory, which is based on nothing but just being a theory, is that that run has got to end. I think it's sort of perfect storm territory for Selby, this. I think that run's got to end. And also, he's not going to tournament this season. He's kind of due, you feel. So maybe it's going to be his year. This is getting round. This is me getting round to the fact that I'm tipping Mark Selby. I was going to go for Trump initially, but I thought that was kind of a bit of a predictable tip. So Mark Selby... Is my tip to win the Masters now? Already, if Selby's listening, he'll be he'll be devastated that <laughs> I've tipped him because I don't have the best uh, best sort of the uh, track record with that. Uh, I went for Murphy last year, but anyway, um, I just kind of feel it's about time he did well in this tournament again. Um, he played; uh, he was at the Championship League, played in Group Two this week. He made seven centuries in two days, and whatever anyone thinks about that tournament, that's phenomenal. In you know short matches against top players, seven centuries in two days. That's playing just eight matches, all best of fives. So he's clearly, you know, striking the ball well. Um, and as I say, I just feel he's due a tournament and he's due a good performance in the Masters. So you put it all together, I think Mark Selby will not only beat Robert Milkins, I think he will win the tournament. Um, <laughs> I do feel actually, if Milkins wins that match, that's actually quite an upset because his form this season has not been good, and he's actually spoken about being disappointed with it. He didn't play well at the, at the Championship League. He was in Group One. He came bottom of the table. He only won six frames. I'm not saying that that's going to translate to next to, to this week at the Masters, but in general, Selby, just on pure form, he's played better. Of course, this season, uh, Mark Selby himself has maybe had a few disappointing defeats. He lost uh, his best run, obviously, was the British Open, got to the final there, lost 10 7 to Mark Williams. Um, but uh, anyway, that's how I see it. I'm sure everyone else will have their, their own opinions. Uh, it promises of course, of course, to be a great week and uh, what I plan to do now, and this is a, a little twist on the podcast format, what I plan to do is return during the tournament, uh, for, only for short uh, sort of 10 minutes here and there, so a little preview of the quarterfinals on Thursday, uh, semi-finals on Saturday and then a preview of the final on Sunday, I uh, will just give my thoughts and obviously look back on how I've done with predictions Um, So look out for that in the feed. They'll only be short. You know, you'll get through it. Um, But in the meantime, obviously, enjoy the Masters. One thing I would say right now, though, and it will be a great show. They've sold every ticket, standard ticket, and I'm sure the VIP tickets will be snapped up as well. So it's going to look great. It's going to be great. But I would warn against this. There'll be people saying, oh, the World Championship should be there. This, This is so good, the World Championship should be there. No, it shouldn't, okay? And this is why, Right. You will not get, one of the reasons you get the atmosphere there that you do is that people know they're going to see a match. They're going to see a match from start to finish, apart from the Sunday afternoon of the final. Okay? You're not going to get that with the first session of three in a best of 25. Right? You're not going to get that atmosphere there, and you're also not going to get it on a two-table setup. Right? So it's perfect for the Masters, that venue. One table, a result every session, barring the last day in the afternoon. So that's why it works. The Crucible works for a different reason. All this thing about moving because one tournament has done well, if, if it's doing well, leave the event there, okay? I'm guaranteed at some point this week someone will say, move the World Championship there. No, don't, because the Masters works there. So leave the Masters there, okay? <laughs> that's that's a little plea, just a, a little bit of perspective. Enjoy it. It'll be great. It's live on the BBC and Eurosport and Discovery Plus and other platforms around the world, including Matching Live uh World Snooker Tour website will have the details of how to watch it. Um, it's one of those tournaments, really, and just going down the list there, every match is interesting, every match you want to watch. I, people say, and I've said it many times, every match is like a final. It's not quite true, is it? Because finals are usually two sessions. These are one-session matches, but they're all high-quality, uh dripping in quality, actually. Who's going to win? Well, I've gone for Selby, but you can make a case for any of them, just enjoy it. And uh, as I say, I'll be back later in the week to uh, to look at uh, ha- wh- ha- what's been happening, how things are going. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. You can email at snookerscenepodcast.mail.com, snookerscenepodcast.mail.com. It's great to be back for the new year. And, uh, yeah, we're uh, members of the Sports Social Network, all the rest of it. But uh, it's great to be back and uh, we'll uh, enjoy the Masters. But in the meantime, for the first time this year, it's goodbye-bye.